got a couple of questions to ask you before we start. Number one, can you say in all honesty, you love me? Thank you. Some of you have heard somebody say, you love me. Okay. You trust me? Yeah. Some of you don't know me. You trust me? Okay. Do anybody have tomatoes in their purses or pockets? Does anybody have a tomato in their purse or their pocket? Becky might. Ripley might. No, Ripley, no tomatoes. Ripley's got a great garden. No tomatoes. Any rocks? Okay. If you have tomatoes or rocks or anything else that you could hurl at me, I want you to take them right now and set them aside somewhere. Maybe put them under your chair so you won't be tempted to grab them. Is that a deal? Do you trust that God's word is right and that sometimes our thinking is wrong? Yes? Okay. I'm saying all this is a setup today because we're going to be spending the next three weeks, actually next week we'll be in the park, but the next three Sundays we're together here. We're still going through 1 Peter. And what I love about doing verse-by-verse studies of the Bible or section-by-section is it causes you to deal with topics that you otherwise would choose to ignore. And we're choosing to not ignore what Peter is going to deal with in three sections, so we're going to take it in three sermons, because each one has a different application. And he's going to, he's going to be dealing with a topic that's, that I think has the potential to make you upset. Makes me upset. These guys actually know, Mitch, my witness, how many times in the last couple of weeks have I yelled, Mitch, you're preaching this, I'm not. <laughs> Been many times. Our office is a little strange, we just yell through the walls, that's very true, we do that a lot, or I do that a lot, they just respond. But we're going to look at something today, and, and three times, and, and he does it, he does it, does it three different applications of the same basic truth, because it's so contrary to us, and I'm going to say this, especially contrary to us as Americans, how we've been taught to think by our culture. And what I want you to do today, as we're going to look at the Word of God, I want you to be aware of your feelings and your internal reactions. This is a growth opportunity. That if we will be aware of our internal feelings, that this is what normally happens. If something happens, if John and I are in a conversation, and John says something to me that I don't like, we call it, we say this, you got triggered, I generally do this. Not physically, but I do this. And when I do this, I put my defenses up. Guess what? The the conversation's pretty much over. Husband and wives, right? Once the defenses go up, then it's just tit for tat, back and forth, and it doesn't go real well. Here's my challenge to us today is we're going to let Peter and we're going to let Paul and we're going to let the rest of Scripture speak to us today and then the same topic for a couple more weeks, I mean, but different applications of it. We're going to do our best to not do this. We're going to do our best to not do this. You think you can catch that, Rich? I don't think you want It's kind of soft. It won't work. We're going to do our best to be open, have open hearts that are going to let us allow the Word of God to um, shape us and to challenge us. And this is what I'm, all I'm asking for, is that we will be open instead of hearing something and just closing our hearts, closing our minds, We'll do our best to, to take a breath and say, I'm, I'm reacting inside. It's called emotional intelligence, friends. You have emotional intelligence. You are able to hear something and not react. You're able to allow yourself to process and think. 
and not allow your emotions to overrule you, right? And this is going to have a possibility of doing that. So it's a great growth opportunity. So before we read our text today, you're saying, I've never heard Pastor Mark set up a sermon like this. Before we read our text today, let's remember what Peter has been writing about in this whole book. That he's been explaining to a bunch of mistreated Christians how to live out their Christian lives in the society that was hostile toward them. They figured out this, that they didn't fit. They didn't fit and they were being mistreated because they didn't fit. And it was decides, They were the minority, society was the majority, and they were being oppressed because of their Christian views. And, and Peter's writing about that in a few verses before we're going to look at what we looked at today. We looked at a few weeks ago. He wrote a, a statement that was kind of an overarching statement that he then is explaining. He wrote this, be holy as God is holy. He's saying Christian people in this society learn to be holy as God is holy. And what we're going to read today is that it gives us another example. We've looked at some before, but another example of how we can do this. What it looks like for you and me to live out holy, Christ-like lives among a bunch of people who just think differently um, and live differently than we do. And today, Peter is going to deal with the idea of how do I live holy? He's going to apply it to the area of submitting to authority. Anti-American. Submitting to authority. He's going to apply it, we're going to look at it, he's going to apply it in three different areas. He's going to apply it, what's that look like in civil government? What's it look like in like employment relationships and relationships with people? What's it look like between husbands and wives? And those are the three weeks we're going to look at that. And so today, he's going to look at it primarily, we're going to look at what he wrote primarily, dealing with submitting to authority in the form of civil government. And I think what we're going to look at is going to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. So decide right now, right now, to have an open mind and an open heart to receive what God's word has to say to us. Okay? Deal? Deal. So I want to begin, I want to set the stage by looking at something that was written just probably about three decades, or written about happened three decades before Peter and Paul would have written anything about this topic. And the reason we're going to look at something from three decades, about 30 years earlier, um, is because it's going to give us a sense of a feeling for what the times that they lived in were like. So take your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to get to Peter Lowell. Turn to Matthew chapter 2. You're going to go, why in the world are we going here? You're going to think it's Christmas. Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read for you, so we're going to spend, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture today. I'm going to read for you um, the story of the visit of the Magi. I'm going to read all the way to verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to verse 18. And I want you to pay attention, I want you to think past the Christmas pageants. I want you to hear what the Word of God is really talking about in this section. Ready? Chapter, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that's how we can say this is tied to when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is about 30 years, a little bit more, before Peter and Paul are writing, because Jesus was born, he lived 30 years, he was crucified, then they did their ministry, right? So about three decades earlier, this this was within Peter and Paul's lifetime. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem of Judah, are by no means least among those leaders of Judah. For all of you shall come forth, or for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may too come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell on the ground and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. Uh, this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. And he sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. We'll stop right there. Now I said in the beginning of this, this is the story we generally make kids Christmas pageants about, right? We dress up people like wise men and we kind of get the story wrong because we have babies, just still baby Jesus in a manger. Jesus is really probably two years old when they showed up because of what we find in this text. But they come and they present gold, gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh to Mary and everybody celebrates and we have little goats and sheep and lambs and camels and all the stages. Some of your kids played those parts, you know, and we make Christmas plays about it. But the reason I read the whole fullness of the story here was so that we could get the overarching idea of what the Lord is really trying to communicate. Not that he's not communicating about Magi. That's, that's important. But he's trying to communicate something else here because we see a theme that's carried through the entire story. And the theme of this section is really about the wickedness of King Herod. That's what it's about. It's about the wickedness of King Herod. That Herod was troubled by the news that the Magi brought, saying there's a king born among the Jews. And he's saying, who is that king? Where is he? And he inquires and he tries to trick the Magi into coming so he could go take care of the king himself. And the Magi's hear from God by an angel and they go a different direction. And so he says, I know, I'll solve the problem. And he sends his soldiers, they go into Bethlehem and they kill, they slaughter Every single male child under two years old. So he could do away with the potential threat that could rise up through the people of Israel. 
That is what Roman rule was like. That is what it was like to live under a Roman ruler who was like a god and could do whatever he wanted and squash any people in any way he wanted, that you had no rights, they had all rights. That's what it was like um, to live in those days. And that's what it was like to live under the ungodly, unjust civil authority that Jesus and Peter and Paul all lived under. That was the world they lived in. That's what their ruling government was like. Okay, you got that image in your mind? Because I really want you to get this. That's what their civil authority was like. They were just going around saying, oh, there's a threat here, I'm just going to kill y'all. Because they could do whatever they wanted. And they didn't care what anybody else thought. That's the world they lived in. Now, now turn to First Peter. You're going to go, oh my goodness, I don't like Peter. But guess what? You're going to like Paul either. He's going to say the same thing. Look at First Peter. Chapter 2, just verses 13 to 17 for today. See there? I bet you no one has this highlighted. <laughs> you got it highlighted in yours, okay. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do what is right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may resilience the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the king. We'll stop right there. Let's remember what Peter is writing about in this letter. How to live godly, holy, Christ-like in a world that is opposed to you as a follower of Jesus. And what does he say we should do here to live a Christ-like existence in a world where Roman rule says there's a potential king, slaughter every child under two? What does he say we should do? How should we live in submission to that? What should we do? We should live a life of submission to authority. So, and before we look at any application of this, because we're going to apply it, before we look at the application specifically to civil government, let's first just think about our own need for authority over us. Because I think this is where we need to start today. Our own need for authority over us, because we don't usually think we do. I think you would all agree with me. Everybody here a human? If you're not a human, raise your hand. Okay? All humans, I think we could agree, we tend toward self-centeredness. Meaning we see the world from our perspective, and we want the world to work out for our good. We tend... To want things done our way and for our good, right? That's true, right? Now, you might not like my illustration here but because of what he did, but I'm really glad that Aaron Rodgers is playing for the Packers this year. Because I think Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. And I think with Aaron Rodgers as our quarterback, my team, our team, will probably win more games than without him. 
But when I like that idea that my team's going to win more games than, than the Chicago Bears, than the Bears, right? Any Vikings fans in here? Than the Vikings, Jeff? Here's what I'm saying about that. I'm saying I want my team to beat your team and I want my team to beat your team. And on Sunday morning, you're cheering for your team and you're cheering for your team, but I'm cheering for my team. And as a human, I'm saying I want it my way. You say, well, it's a foolish example, but it's not. It's really how we live our lives. We want things our way. That's what being, seeing the world through our lenses, that's what being self-centered is. That if I want my team to win, it's at the expense of your teams. But I still want my team to win because that's what it is to be a human. I want what I want. Now, hopefully, as I mature in Christ, I become less self-centered and more Jesus-centered, um, which, which considers the needs of other people as more important than myself, right? That's what Philippians 2 says. But I'll tell you this, I'm a long way from that. Because when the Bears and the Packers play and the Vikings and the Packers play, I'm going to really, really root for my team to win. I'm a long ways from that, and I think so are every one of us. That's our goal we're shooting for, considering others first. But as a humanity as a whole, we're not very good at that. So, God knows that humanity needs authority over it. It needs authority. Authority that puts in parameters in our life. That makes rules, the things that apply way beyond sports teams, right? They put rules in place that, that gives punishment for those who do evil and it, and it protects those who do good. Those who do evil, meaning they live self-centered in their lives to the point of hurting other people. Government, rules, authority is designed to help that stay healthy. So because of our human tendency towards self-centeredness, which is sin, we need rules that govern us, govern us. And we need, get this, we need people to establish and enforce those rules is why I wish every person in government was a Christian. But they're not. But we need, Herod was not. But we need people to establish and enforce the rules. Now understand something about those that make and enforce the rules. They are also flawed, self-centered human beings who make a lot of mistakes and have bad motives. Like Herod, kill my potential person who could rise up against me. So the rules and the enforcement of those rules will always be flawed because they always come from humanity. This is what Peter is writing about in this text today. Our need, a Christian person's need to willingly, it says you have freedom, but choose to submit to be a bondservant a Christian person's need to willingly submit to the governing authorities that are established over them, even if they are flawed. Now, put your tomatoes away right now. I'm far from done. Okay? Look what Peter has to say about this. First, it is the will of God to submit to civil authority. Look at verse 15. He's writing about civil authority, about kings and governors. For such, such is kings and governors that he's just wrote about. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. It is the will of God, he's saying, to do right in relationship to submitting to governing 
authorities. And the question is, why? Why would Peter write that? Well, let's look to something that the Apostle Paul wrote that gives us the why. So flip over in your Bibles. Keep your finger in, in 1 Peter. Flip over in your Bibles to the book of Romans. You say, well, see, Peter was just drunk when he wrote this. He didn't know what he was talking about. Or he was a pansy. He wasn't willing to, to, to live the right life. Well, anybody here ever accuse Peter or Paul of being wishy-washy? Two guys in Scripture that you would never, ever say were pansies. They were wishy-washy on anything. Peter and Paul. Okay? Look what Paul has to say. He answers the why. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Every person. What, what people? Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have, have praise from the same. For it is a servant of God to you for good. Government, it's saying, is a servant of God. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. In other words, the government bears a sword. For it is a servant of God. An avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection. Not only because of wrath, they bear the sword, but also for the sake of your conscience. For because of this, you also get this. See what it says? Pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. He's saying the government's a ruler of God. Pay your taxes for rulers are servants of God. The government that said, kill the babies under two. Pay your taxes for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. All authority is ultimately from God. That's what he says in verses 1 and 2. There is no authority outside of God's authority. Every person is to subject, be, in, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Do you remember when Jesus stood before the Roman Pilate, and Pilate was upset with Jesus because Jesus would not defend himself. Remember the story? And Pilate, in all his authority, looks at Jesus and says, don't you understand that I have the authority to save your life or to kill you? And Jesus looks at Pilate, who hadn't been talking at all. Jesus was being quiet. He goes, this is Mark's version, dude, you have no authority except what was given to you by God. And he goes, do you understand? 
dude, that right now I could call 6,000 angels and they would defend me? You have no authority. And that's what freaked Pilate out. Because he's like, uh, who does this guy say he is? What kind of king does he say he is? Remember, and he tried to wash his hands of it and the Jews wouldn't let him. Jesus submitted to authority. Jesus, so, so friends, all authority is under God's authority. Jesus said to Pilate, you have no authority except my father gave it to you. All authority is under God's authority. And as Paul says, those humans, those civil authorities that we have in the world are established by God. And Paul and Peter explain that civil authority is established, why? For man's good. For the protection of those who do good and the punishment of those who do evil. That civil authority actually acts as an agency for God for protecting people in a world where everyone is self-centered and wants things done their way. Government establishes rules that are designed to keep people in their self-centeredness from harming others. So we have laws that say things like this. If you steal my wallet and you get caught, they arrest you and you might go to jail. They have rules like this, that if you keep speeding, you drive recklessly, we give you a ticket, we give you a ticket. If you get too many tickets, we take away your license and maybe put you in jail. Government is ultimately designed to serve and protect humankind, to serve God in this capacity under God's authority. So Paul says something that we don't like at all, pay your taxes, He says, support your civil government that God has established over you, even if they are flawed and ungodly, because everybody is flawed and ungodly. Think about something from this story, from the Magi, the story we read. God, because this is uncomfortable, and I don't have an answer for it, God in his infinite plan and wisdom, allowed Herod, the king, during the time of Jesus' birth, when he couldn't find Jesus, he allowed them to slaughter every boy under two that was killed by Herod. That unholy, unthinkable, ungodly crime... Herod Herod did, but here's the kicker. It was prophesied that it would happen hundreds of years before it did. That's why we read it all the way through. The prophet, Jeremiah, hundreds of years earlier, prophesied that all those babies would be slaughtered. And that's why Matthew applies it and says, this is what happened in this time. Somehow in the outworking of God's ultimate divine plan that destroys sin and evil in the end, he somehow allows evil people freedom to do evil and to do good things in this world. And it seems impossible for me to get my head around, but this is what the Bible says is true. We see that there is a war in Scripture going on between God and Satan. We, we know that God's going to win. Satan's just given freedom for a while, but he's given freedom. I don't get it, but he is. And we see that during our human existence on earth, this side of a new heaven and a new earth, 
that evil often wins temporarily. That's what we see. That's what the Bible portrays. And we see that at times civil government can be part of that evil like they are in the pages of Scripture. Yet, somehow, in all of that, Peter says and Paul says that as Christians who want to live holy, we must understand that all authority is ultimately from God and that civil authority is established by God and that, he says this, Paul, whoever resists that authority is opposed to God's own authority in his life. That when we resist the civil authority that has been established over us, we actually, says, we resist God's authority over us. Some people can't be told to do anything. God's saying, listen, submit to everything in this situation. Friends, you cannot separate the sovereign, the sovereign authority of God from the exercise of human authority. You don't find it anywhere in the Bible. Human authority is always under the divine authority of God. And as we submit to civil authority that is over us, it says this, we are actually submitting to God. I can almost hear the shouts going on in some of your heads. Your heads are, some of your heads are exploding right now. What about our civil authority that asks me to do something that is clearly contrary to what God says in his word? Right? What about civil authority that says, do something that's contrary to God's word? Two things about that. I'll get the one you don't like first. Then the one you like better. First, At least in our current existence in America. I'm speaking about here. I've lived in other places where I've had no rights. Cambodia, you have no rights. The the, the people you fear the most are the police who have guns because they're the only ones with guns. And you know what? Every week they stopped me and shoved machine guns into my head and demanded bribes. Every week when I drove down the road and I had to negotiate down to $3 and give them. Suzanne at first cried. Then she learned, don't cry anymore. Because they I said, honey, they're not going to kill us. They want our money. They kill us, we don't get any more, they don't get any more money from us. So every week, machine gun in your face, stop your car, and ask for money. Okay? That's what a lot of the world's like. But that's not this. The day I came back from Cambodia after living there, and I came into LAX, I saw a police officer sitting on a stool with a gun, and I literally wanted to watch a, it was a big, a, a large lady. <laughs> I wanted to walk up here and give her a kiss right on the lips. Because I had rights here, and her gun wasn't to kill me. But here's my my point. At least in our current existence in America, those things are rare. Maybe from our government, I don't see them existing at all right now. What things does, ask a question, what things does our government tell me that I must do that is contrary to the commands of God? The reality is I can't think of any. Not that that's not the case other other places in the world, because it is the case other places in the world at other times. Now there are laws in our country, which allow things that I completely disagree with, like abortion. Totally disagree with it. I think it's an evil, horrible sin. There's forgiveness for it, but it kills a human life, an undefenseless human life. There's nothing God's more opposed to than killing the defenseless. But as of now, in our country, I am not forced to do things that are contrary to my Christian faith. So I honor and obey the civil authority placed over me by God. Do I wish that the authority was different? Yes. Do I wish different people were in place of authority? Yes, I do. But I'd imagine so did Jesus and Peter and Paul. You think Peter and Paul were happy? 
that the guy in place, the, the ruling, family, ruling family that's in place, slaughtered every baby under two to try to kill Jesus? Of course not. They were cruel and they were wicked and they were rotten. And Paul and Peter, Peter and Paul in particular say, to submit to the authority over them. Friends, this is an opportunity for us to wrap our heads around this This is one of those times that we need to learn to listen to Scripture and not explain it away. Not ignore it, not explain it away, even when it's difficult. We have to wrestle with it and say, how do I apply it in my life? Now, I said there's part you wouldn't like and part you will like. Here's the part you will like. Now, a time might come in America when our civil government could require us to do what is contrary to God's instructions. At that time, I will not obey. And I would say that at that time, we should not obey. And we have biblical precedent for it. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Hebrew children living in Babylon. Wicked, wicked ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, who thought he was a king. And the king builds a statue of himself and tells everybody, gathers, says, but when the trumpets play and the band starts, you bow down and you worship the statue. Everybody bows down. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stand their ground. And the king's told about it. They're brought to the king. He says, I'll give you another chance. And they play the music and they stand their ground. He goes, don't you get it? If you don't listen, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. He teaches the furnace seven times hotter than it ever been before. They don't listen. They toss him in the furnace. Now, in this situation, Herod looks in and goes, how many guys we throw in there? Three, right? How come I see four and one looks like the son of God? Now, that's awesome. But here's the deal. Many people who have stood up against evil have not, the, the fourth person doesn't, doesn't appear in the fire. And they die for their faith. Church history is full of over 2,000 years. More Christians have been martyred for their faith in the last 100 years than at any time in the history of the world. It's happening, every, it's happening in Afghanistan right now. So they refused. Because the law of God trumps the law of man. And the law of God, now understand, some of you are going to say, oh, I have my rights. No, you have your rights. That's being an American. And I love America. I think America is the greatest country in the world. And I love our freedoms and I don't want them to go away. But when I say I stand for my rights, I won't do that. An authority over me says, I refuse to do that. I have my rights. You are literally flying in the face of the teachings of Scripture. God is saying, if you resist that authority, you resist His authority. He's trying to get us to people. If you read the Psalms, he talks all the time. I love the humble hearted. He wants people who will follow him. These guys said, I'll follow you, Lord. And now the civil authority says, I got to do something contrary to your authority. So I am going to not follow the civil authority and I'll risk my life for it. They risked their life and for their sake, they were saved. But a lot of people aren't. Think of another situation. Peter and John, Acts chapter 4. They're just walking into the temple one day and there's a sick guy, a lame man, sitting by the temple gate, beautiful. They'd walked by him a ton of times before. And this time, Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold, I don't have any, but what I have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. He grabs him by the hand, he lifts him up. The man's ankles are completely healed. And he starts, it says, walking and leaping and praising God. It causes such a commotion that the authorities find out about it. They bring in that guy, they test, they, they ask him questions, can't explain it. Then they bring in Peter and John and say, listen, what did you do? I said, well, we prayed for him, and he got better. They said, okay. They, have a, they meet. The authorities meet. The authorities come away. Okay, here's the deal. 
Just don't talk in the name of Jesus anymore. You remember their response? They said this. This is what they said. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So they said, listen, you're going to tell me I can't tell somebody about Jesus? Sorry. Rule of God, authority of God triumphs authority of man. I'm following what God says. I'm going to keep, tell, I'm going to keep telling, the, telling the message. When civil authority demands that you disobey God's authority, Christians are to obey God. But I want to be honest today. I want you to be honest today. I want you to be brutally honest with your own soul today. I hear a lot of people claim that they, are, that they are taking a Christian position on things that are going on politically in order to resist things that our government says um, or the government does. And a lot of them are saying that it's because they're standing for Christian principles. Now, I, I get there's a lot of things that I disagree with. But I can honestly say that personally, I have yet to have any of my ability to live as a Christian hindered by anything that our government has ever done. If that happens, I, we can feel free to disobey. But in my life, I've never seen it here in America. I've seen it in Cambodia. I've never seen it here. According to Peter and Paul, we must submit to civil government. And Paul says, for it is a servant of God for to you for good. It means to be a blessing to all mankind who we said are what? Are self-centered and we see the world our way. I want my team to win, your team to lose, so I'll put you down in order for me to win. He says we got, we got, we got to put rules in place so that people don't, don't get abused, don't get hurt in the process. I'll end with Peter's final words on the subject. I think it's a great way, a great ending. If you want to highlight any verse, highlight this verse. Peter says, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. That means love each other. We, 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 we celebrate communion together. Love the brotherhood. Care for the brotherhood. Fear God. Fear God. Respect, reverence God, but fear God. We talked about a few weeks ago, the idea that God is a loving God who will come and we will all give an account to him. And he calls that fear. He says that live your life in the reality that God is real and you'll give an account. And in this point, the account of how do you respond to authority over you? Honor people, all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and what? Honor the king. In our situation, that's the president. Just maybe, we would do more kingdom good by praying for and showing honor to our leaders than by bashing them. I'd say this, that's at least what Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thinks. And as Peter says, if we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, then, by doing right, we will silence the ignorance of foolish people. People will see our Christ-likeness, they'll see our godliness. We'll see that we're like Jesus who himself submitted to human authority even to the point of death for the greater good of humanity. And that life will so affect people. They'll see Jesus in us. And they'll be drawn to him. 
And after all, isn't that really our highest calling? People seeing Jesus inside of us. So, God establishes authority. And if we struggle with authority, like we all do and I do, we need to let the words of Peter and Paul just have some, some time to, to stir around in our hearts and to realign some things and to, to make us live more like Jesus wants us to live than our culture says we ought to live. Let's pray together. Father, this topic is hard for us. It's hard for us. We live in a land, Lord, that you have blessed, and we are thankful. I am thankful that we live in what I think, and I think most people in this room would think is the greatest country in the world, where we are free. That we, every one of us, came to church today without any threat. And Lord, here we are, and we... Lord, I'm just speaking for our church family. I think as a whole, we really want to be holy as you are holy. We want to be more like you, Jesus. And what we're looking at in your word today, it just flies in the face of the culture that we've been raised in. It just flies in the face of it. It's the opposite. And Lord, it's so hard for us to get our heads around because we've been literally formed differently. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that your loving ministry in our lives is to reshape us. And so we say to you today, as we wrap up our time, would you, would you allow these words to resonate in our heart? Would you draw us back to these texts that we'll go back to them today and tomorrow and the next day, and we'll wrestle with them? We'll wrestle with them. Maybe some are going to disagree with me, and that's fine, because maybe I got part of it wrong. But surely the straightforward words that, that Peter, Lord, that you, you gave us from Peter and you gave to us from Paul have something really important to say to us in our culture moment we're living in. And I ask you, help us. Help me. Help me to figure out how to live in this corrupt, evil world that so many of the things just make me mad. How do we do that? And be submissive. I know, Jesus, you're our model. You're the model of it for us. You show us. You did it. And so would you just help us? That in this week, when we are tempted to rise up in the way we've been formed, just in our culture, and to be that defender of our right, would you bring these words to our mind and help us as individuals see how we're supposed to apply it in our lives? Because God, I don't believe there's a person in here who doesn't want to honor you and please you. So we're giving you permission this morning. You have access to our hearts, our souls. Shape us and reshape us according to your perfect will. In your beautiful, precious name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray a blessing over you this morning. And then just... You are free to come and spend some time in prayer. You feel dismissed by the Lord. Just go in peace. Have a wonderful day.
living in the freedoms that we have. He says, Peter said, live as free people. He said, but the way you do that is you live as a bondservant. You serve Jesus. The way you live in your ultimate freedom is to come under the rule and reign of Jesus because his way is the best way. So Lord, bless me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful day in Jesus. If you want to pray, I'll be up here to pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Being a light in the darkness. Amen.